we have pleasure to introduce uh, our speaker today, Michael Bullenheim. Uh, Michael is actually a very difficult speaker to introduce um, because he has worked on a wide number of topics. Um, he's a lecturer in the Department of Sociology at Goldsmiths. Uh, <coughs> and I will simply mention a couple of the um, topics uh, he's been working on over the past few years. Um, he's, I think, well known for his work on uh, cities and urban studies and the reuse of buildings. Um, but also, uh, I would like to mention the work he's currently doing on civil protection uh, as part of a project called Organizing Disaster, which is funded by the European Research Council. Um, but anybody who knows Michael um, will be aware that his real interest is food, or more specifically cooking, um, and that's what he's going to be talking about today. So without any further announcements or introductions, I will simply say that the, the title of this talk today is Experiments uh, in Sociological Food Governance, although the sociological has been dropped already. And the experiments will be dropped in a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Michael, uh, thank you for coming today. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, it's really um, a pleasure to speak here and to address a group of people who that is interested in food governance. Um, as Javier said, that's kind of my actual interest on which I can never sort of formally work. So it's kind of really an honor um, to speak here uh, on this. So what I'm mostly interested in, in some of the work that I'm going to talk to you about is um, how we can talk, how we can think about food governance in a way where we take food and eating and consumption seriously. Um, and I think this is particularly pertinent because I think food, say, compared with other um, governance issues, um, is really a quite particular problem because it is so bodily, because we eat it, because it is something where governance goes literally into our body. And I think this is also why um, probably a lot of responses to food governance are much more vehement and emotional than probably in other fields, um, apart from maybe um, reproduction and, and medicine. Um, and I'm mostly, because I'm not sort of, as Javier indicated, not a proper food governance researcher, um, I'm mostly interested in methods, how to sort of research this problem of say how food governance comes into our bodies and how we as sociologists or whatever else uh, you are um, can do research on this problem. Now, I also need to give you a very short background that you understand how I come to do that work. And that background actually doesn't start with uh, me being a sociologist, but it starts with um, when I, before I started my studies in, in Switzerland, um, I was looking for a job um, to earn money, and I was at that time already cooking quite a lot, and I found a job in a nursery as a cook. Um, 
one funny thing there was that when I entered for the job interview, the woman who was the cook before me um, stood in the kitchen and said, um, you can see why you get why you apply for that job because I don't fit into the kitchen anymore. So she was so fat that she literally couldn't move in the kitchen anymore. So my getting a job there was actually a result of a particular kind of sort of clash of legal rules of how to build kitchens with her um, body mass. So she literally had to give up the job um, to get thinner to fit again into her kitchen. So I ended up being a cook there um, for a couple of months. Um, I left when she returned. She still didn't properly fit into the kitchen. Um, and a couple of months later, I was looking for another job. And there was, by happenstance, uh, a job advert, again, for, uh, for a cook in, in a nursery. So I got a permanent job in a nursery, and I could have stayed there until now, and I would be a cook in a, in a nursery. Um, but being a cook in a nursery, apart from being a sort of crash course in, in professional cooking in a very strange way, um, also um, introduced me to very particular problems of feeding children and how the state imagines feeding children and dealing with these kind of rules and regulations. After that, I started to study. And already during my studies, I started to work at ETH, the um, technical university in Switzerland, at a place called Collegium Helveticum, which is a kind of interdisciplinary center. And I became first uh, head of the kitchen there in the sense that people have to cook for lunch uh, twice a week. And it's part of a get together of all the scholars who are there. But then I also became um, the caterer for all events. So I spent a lot of time during my studies and during writing my PhD um, being a caterer for academic um, events. And I also started at that time a catering company with two friends of mine. And so we did a lot of catering for weddings and birthday parties and so on. So I have a career as a cook. Um, in different contexts, which informs a lot of um, these interests of mine and also the practices. Now, the central problem and sort of the central methodological interest of mine, as I said, is a problem of translation, so to speak, by because I think one of the problems of, say, the sociology of food is that very quickly um, food is translated into text in one big jump. Um, and I'm not sure whether this is the be best method to research um, problems of food governance. If we look at other disciplines, say biology, we can quickly see that if biologists try to find out about say, birds or mice, they don't jump immediately from the birds to a text, but they invent a lot of procedures how to translate the birds um, in many steps into eventually a text. 
we know from social studies of science, um, a lot of very detailed and empirical studies how this happens. And we also know from these studies all these repertoires um, of instruments that so natural scientists invent and work with them. And actually, many of them, as you may be aware, um, are used in, in kitchens, are actually taken from kitchens and are also now brought back to kitchens. Uh, if you ever have eaten at, at Hessen Blumenthal's, you may be aware of that. So I think we can learn um, from this by trying to do different kinds of translations where we not immediately jump um, to texts. If you are interested in this, you can in, in sort of, if you're interested in the, in the more detailed theoretical argument, um, I'm happy to send you an article that is now under review and should be published, I hope, soon. Um, and you can also have a look at the previous article um, on my website. Now, from these kind of general ideas, I developed together with two friends of mine, Dan Krafner and Judith Krull, um, something what we call incubation. Um, that's a particular idea which um, tries to merge some of these ideas with some ideas of, let's say, more performative approaches to doing social sciences. And we wrote these up um, in, a, in, a, in a paper that is entitled Don't Leave the Kitchen, a recipe for in incubation. And it's quite on purpose that this refers to cooking as well and to recipes in the sense that we, we, we conceive of this as a kind of number of rules that you can follow, but you don't have to follow, that tell you how to go on doing something if you want to achieve a certain result, but it's not a method that, you know, is the method. Um, these incubations cons um, consist of eight steps. Um, the first step, and that's probably the most difficult one to achieve as a university scientist, is um, what cooks call the mise en place. That is, begin with the setup of a suitable organizational environment to do your incubation. And very often universities aren't really the suitable environments to do that, um, simply because, and particularly social scientific departments aren't, particular, aren't suitable places to do that simply because it is very difficult to do anything else in the department of sociology that is not writing. There is no kitchen, so to speak. There is no laboratory. Um, there are all kinds of rules that prevent you from building these um, kinds of things. It gets very difficult with accounting if you want to buy um, a, a pressure cooker and so on. And you'll see that um, when I start talking about this experiment. Second, um, add descriptive and constructive ingredients. And by this we mean do describe, do empirical work, but then also combine that with construct, you, constructing your field, intervening in the field, and combine these two things. Do not refrain from interfering with whatever is your field of research. Third, and this directly links to that, add a good dose of pressure, right? <coughs> Work with a pressure cooker in which you try to create a field on which you import certain ideas that you have and make the field, field produce certain research. Not just step back and leave things happen, but go in and produce some pressure. 
Fourth, mix ingredients. And by mixing ingredients, we mean mix different media. Don't be afraid of using everything or anything you may need to do your incubation. Don't come with a predisposition what the, what the right media are for your work. Fifth, use, left work, use leftovers. Work with the given. So you need, you need to improvise, and needing to improvise means, as every cook knows, if you don't have garlic, then you have to do without garlic. If you happen to have some carrots, you may use and throw in some carrots. If there are some leftovers from yesterday's, use the leftovers from yesterday's. Sixth, um, you'll see this is not so important for um, the projects that I'll talk about. Let your dish macerate for some time and take multiple viewpoints. Let it sit. Take your time. Seventh, taste frequently and develop adequate consumption situations. So be aware of where you want your work to do its work once it's finished. Think about where to eat, right? The restaurant is something different from your home. Um, and eighth, think about the expiry date, when and how to stop. That's also not very important in my case. Now, I'll talk, I'll show you three projects that I did over the last um, six years um, where I did with, mostly with other people, um, some of these incubations. Um, the first one is um, called Self-Service, Luncheonette for Advice and Other Experiments. This was part of an exhibition which I curated. This is part of an exhibition that I curated, which was called Pivar Falching, um, in which ran for a month in July 2006 in Vienna. Uh, it was funded by the Austrian state. It was part of the European presidency of Austria in the year 2006. Um, Austria thought that they need to present themselves to Europe as a state which is very conscious of its scientific achievements. And we, became, we, we won a competition to um, do that. Um, the whole exhibition consisted of 10 parts, 10 sort of mini exhibitions scattered throughout the city, each part in um, next to a tube stop of one tube line. So you could travel through the city on um, an underground line, get up at a stop, walk a couple of meters, and you will get into um, one of these what we call modules. Um, each of these modules had a theme, which was about, in some way, the relationship between citizens, science, and the state. Um, and one of these modules um, that I did together with uh, Georg Heilig is this self-service um, Luncheonette for Advice and Other Experiments. And the idea here was to um, to think about how to engage with the public um, in a dialogue on 
in a very general way, intake governance. So we were trying to think of not only about food, but anything that people put into their bodies. And the question that we wanted to engage was, how do we know what we put into our bodies? How do people know that? And how does this relate to um, all kinds of expertise and advice that people are given? Um, um, do they follow this advice or don't they follow this advice? So what we did is we first started a kind of a research project where we asked around 80 people, uh, which was a quite conscious sort of sample of extremes of sort of Viennese society, um, to write a diary of one week um, and note down anything they put into their body. And by anything we meant food, drinks, drugs, and medication. And they should write down what they put into their body, and they should also comment on how and where they know from um, whether to put this thing into their body, and who told them to do so, and where they knew from how much to put into their body. Um, we also gave them disposable cameras. That was in a time before um, everybody had a cell phone with digital camera built in. That is only seven years ago now, but um, that was the fact. So we, we worked with disposable cameras. And they should take pictures of all these things that they put into their bodies. Otherwise, we left it completely free how they go on doing this. So we ended up with. 80 diaries um, of professional sports people, of um, drug addicts, of um, teenagers, of family mothers, of whatever professionals. And we then rented on a, on a market in Vienna, in a quite um, dilapidated area, which is very close to one of these tube stops. We rented a market stall. So um, we tried to create an adequate consumption situation for our research, which was, you can see this here at night. Um, it's a market which basically consists of these prefabricated market stalls. Next to that one would be a Turkish um, butcher. Um, you can also see that we kind of imitated here um, these kind of Turkish restaurant um, trash pictures of um, what you what you get to eat, but obviously these are taken from from our diaries. Um, you can see here, you'll see that later, um, excerpts from the diaries that are blown up in handwriting. And <coughs> when you would enter our our um, our luncheonette, there would be tables like in a restaurant, and on the table would be a menu. And the menu would read like this. Dear guests, welcome at self-service. Each day we read in the newspaper what in the newspapers what is healthy and what isn't. Whether alcohol, celeriac, or morphine, prescriptions, advice and results of scientific research read down on us. Experts of all kinds tell us what to do and in each health program a different stance is taken. Each advice is backed by science, but do people actually follow it? 
The following menu contains diaries of various persons that tell us in pictures and writing what they ingest and why. You can create your own menu from the list of diaries below. Our waiters will bring it to your table. For each diary, they will also serve you a suitable advice book. So we paired, so when people would talk in diaries about sort of problems of multi multiple medication, we would buy um, an advice book on, you know, medicine and me or something, and they would be served the advice book and the diary. And then you continue, also pay attention to our weekly specials. There would be a blackboard with weekly specials. And, and then it would be a menu, and the menu would be ordered like a real menu with sort of courses, but the courses were, um, so instead of starters, it would be desire penitence, then it would be me outside, then it would be, that's sort of a German pun, ritual egal, that means ritual doesn't matter, local away, cocktail pure, training pleasure, yeah, training pleasure. Um, so people, and under these headings, you would find um, diaries that would speak to these issues. So the diaries also weren't ordered by you know, professional gender or whatever, but by sort of topics that are addressed in these diaries. You can see here close up from this entrance um, thing. And you can see here the library with the advice books um, that, fit to the, that fit to the diaries that you'll get. Uh, you can see here uh, somebody, this is one of the diaries of a person who did this huge kind of drawing. Um, and here are some excerpts of um, some of these diaries. So um, these are two different ones. So on your left, you, you can see um, so some images a person has taken from what she was eating. And then she created this drawing. Um, after she had a huge meal and she was trying to sort of describe um, the changes of body shape um, following from, from her meal. On the right, you can see somebody who um, is kind of sampling whatever he takes into his body. And as you can see, it's mostly it's, um, it's coffee. It's cigarettes, and he makes remarks here about um, it, that, it, that he's indifferent to the type of cigarette that he's smoking. Um, it's, it's trying to go to the black market and get them cheap, and so it takes whatever he gets in the black market. And then he put down all these medication that he's taken, and interestingly, he so he he he. He glues um, the the how do you call this thing the hmm? the, the labels that um, give you sort of the medical advice on how much you should take um, on this piece of paper. And here is one um, where you see an example of somebody directly referring to advice. So it says um, one advice of the old native Indians. It's one advice of the old native Indians to hug a tree, um, to, to conserve or to incorporate energy. Um, my wife 
um, who is very sick. Um, and part of her sickness is that she has very often a um, headache. So we went to, uh, to the woods and she was hugging a tree and it went away a little bit and it came back and she was hugging another tree and it went away a little bit and she was hugging another tree until eventually um, the headache went away. And you can see this here. Uh, actually, we put that on the outside of the luncheonette. Um, you can see his wife hugging um, a tree because this is what um, the Indians, native Indians, do. So that's um, that's of the first um, project. You can see. So you can see here sort of an attempt to bring the relationship of people to food governance into a context, um, into sort of an adequate consumption situation where people are constantly thinking about these things anyway, i.e. a market, and create the situation for discussing this um, as a kind of a restaurant. And what was important was that our servers um, were obviously sort of trained in, we trained our service in having a dialogue with um, the audience that would enter our luncheonette and talk with them about um, these materials. So it was an attempt to bring certain ideas of sociology to a sort of almost random public, random audience by talking them through um, certain empirical materials that we produce. Uh, second example, um, let's eat the tactic. Uh, this is a picnic that I organized together with Christian von Wissel um, this spring for a conference, which was titled Engaging Tactics. Uh, that some PhD students organized at Goldsmith. Um, the aim of this conference was to explore social sciences' ways of engaging with the social world. So the events seek to explore how to reimagine tactics for producing and sharing social knowledge. This is all a quote from, from the conference uh, website. Focusing on the construction and upholding of meaningful and confiding relationships with both research participants and emerging publics. Now our task was to produce a lunch for this conference. Um, one of the constraints was that there was literally no money to produce a lunch. So initially they asked me to cook something which would kind of fit, or which, which would work with this conference topic, which is something I did um, in previous projects, but since there was so little money, it was almost impossible to do that. So we thought about how can we turn this conference topic into a picnic without money. Um, and our idea was to turn each talk of the participants into a tactic itself for producing a dish for the picnic. So the idea was to translate social science tactics of the participants into cooking or food tactics um, to learn from cooking, so to say, how to do social science and to learn from social science how to cook. So we sent an email um, to 
the participants, which read like this. On Monday, we would like to have a picnic at the actual project, which we prepare and eat all together. This picnic, of course, shall not just be any picnic, but one where we would like to ask you to share with others a first impression of your presentation topic by preparing a dish related to the engagement tactic that you are using in your research and discussing with us during the two days. Starting from your abstract, we have developed a list of tasks for each one of you, which includes cooking instructions, preparation, food presentation, eating instructions, which aim at inviting you to prepare a dish inspired by your topic. Um, part of the general instructions was that we would pair people with um, sort of people from the audience, that each of these dish would need to feed approximately four people. So it was kind of small, but there were lots of people who would prepare a dish. So it would be a huge buffet. Um, we told them that it shouldn't cost more than 20 pounds, but if possibly less. And obviously each of these dishes should be functional for a picnic. That is, it should be possible to eat sort of in a picnic situation. And let me show you here a couple. So that, that is, this is the picnic situation. So again, create an adequate um, consumption situation after you have put pressure on your field. And here are some um, results. So this is from uh, Veronica Olivotto, whose contribution to the conference was entitled Thank You for Coming. And her pro she's working on a project where, where she works in, in the Netherlands with um, teenage breakdancers. And it's kind of a, let's say, participative action research about migrant youth in, in the Netherlands. So our tactic for her was create a dish from teenage ingredients that's, that says fuck you to the adult food order. And she produced this and commented on it with the following words. The instruction I was given was to create a dish that says fuck you to the adult food order. And I worked on it with Miranda. What we came up with was to buy these pink coated tarts from the Netherlands because she's working in the Netherlands anyways. This would normally be considered junk food. And then we added Nutella and jelly beans. To me, these beans are essentially British, and we've decided to buy crisps and cider. You can't see that, but there's also crisps and cider. Cider to drink on the streets. Um, second example by Ruth Sheldon, um, who did a project on entitled Collaborative Conflict, uh, which is about um, the engagement with um, sort of the Israel-Palestine conflict in, um, in universities in the UK. So our tactic for her was prepare the following dish, and then we gave her a super precise recipe for uh, insalata caprese. So prepare the following dish, revolt against the recipe in as many ways as you can. She says, so my instruction was a very precise recipe for insalata caprese, including the freshness of the products and so on, and I was told to rebel against it. So the rebellion took off once I started to talk with Katharina about it. I started off rebelling by incorporating North African and Eastern European foods into it, 
because obviously anyway. But then I talked to Katarina and we incorporated all kinds of different cultural versions of traditional Italian foods. So there's Chinese filtered olives in there as well. And it's called Lampedusa mix salad and Berlusconi is hanging out in the background, as he always is. And Lampedusa obviously relating to the migrant um, um, situation um, there, which obviously has something to do with um, conflict in the Arab world. Um, third example um, by James Gilpin, who uh, himself actually works on sort of food um, and on diabetics, and he he produced a whiskey um, from diabetics' urine. Um, um, but the whole project was about involving diabetics patients in thinking about sort of um, measuring their bodies and producing something with these body measurements. So, but the important thing in his project is that he produces from urine, which is, which is kind of a waste product of the body, something which can be actually uh, ingested again, which is whiskey, and the whiskey itself doesn't look like and isn't what it is produced from. So our tactic was bring as many things that do not look like what they are. Katie, who was working with him, said, I was working with James and I was away this weekend, so there was not a lot of time to think. Our task was to prepare something from ingredients that are not what they are, uh, not what they look like, and James came up with the idea that, I could be a lot, that it could be a lot of processed food. So we bought scotch eggs that do not look like eggs and pork pies that are not really made of pork and processed cheese and club biscuits that are orange flowered but not really orangey. And I quickly ran out and bought Jaffa cakes because they are not a cake and not a biscuit. But what are they? And I bought prawn crackers that obviously do not contain prawn. So you can see here, obviously this, is, this isn't about cooking skills. I didn't even cook here. Um, but it's about translating certain rules and regulations into tactics um, and then translate them into um, foodstuffs and doing that as a kind of thinking um, experiment with um, these conference participants. Now let me get to the last project, um, which probably brings together some of these strands, uh, which is a project I did during this summer together with a friend of mine, um, Irene Fögerli. Um, the title of this project is Essen Wies, which is un untranslatable, but um, it's called Essen Wies because it is about a part of Zurich, which is called Escher Wies. Um, and Essen Wies means eating Escher Wies, so to say. Now, we did this project because the University of the Arts in Zurich and Irene Vögel is working, uh, is, is directing the MA in transdisciplinarity at the university. The university is moving from where it is now into this part of the city, which is called Escherwies. And it's a very strange part of the city. The, the, the University of the Arts is actually moving into an into a old um, milk and yogurt factory, huge milk and yogurt factory. And this whole part of the city is sort of uh, mostly uh, 
factories and, and, and office buildings. And you can see here, um, this is a so the eating situations within that part of the cities are very strange. Like this is a restaurant. This is the entrance to a restaurant. And this is not unusual. Everything looks like this. So you don't really see whether something is a restaurant or not. Um, here, on the left, you can see this yellow, this pomodoro. is an Italian restaurant, which is on this, I think, fixed sixth floor of, of an office building. Um, not, not the one that you see in the background, but the one in front. Um, this is the view from the terrace of this restaurant. But this yellow sign below the Swisscom, which is a um, um, telecom company, is the only sign that there is a restaurant in this, in this building. So it's, 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 it's a very strange part of the city. And our idea was, and, and, and the, the University of the Arts was basically interested in what it means for the University of the Arts to move into that part of the city. And how does that relate to uh, all kinds of problems that the university may have, including planning, um, changes in the lifestyle of um, students and faculty and so on. And we decided to do something about the taste of this part of the city. So we, we started to think, how can we produce and relate to the taste of a city? How does a city or a part of a city taste and smell um, in both senses, in the sense that if you wander around, there are some smells in the air, but also in the sense that a city part in itself may be conceived of as something that actually does smell. Um, and this is particularly interesting here because it is changing so quickly and very different kinds of people intersect in this part of the city for very different reasons because a lot of people work there but now there is increasingly more um, um, habitation and there is more tourism because there are a lot of clubs so there's also a very particular kind of um, rhythm during the day um, and which produces very particular sort of taste and smell and consumption situations so a sort of a starting point in a sense was a sort of starting with Pierre Bourdieu's ideas about distinction, um, thinking about how different people consume foods in that part of the city, but then trying to sort of produce distinction in a much more geographic sense, i.e. think about how that distributes over um, that part of, of Zurich. Um, so the first part of research was trying to find out how people who live and work there um, taste and smell that part of the city and put that into a relationship to who they are. That's kind of what Bourdieu would do. Um, but the second part um, was to derive from these 
um, relation, these sort of food relationships with the city. Um, food that represents the experience of the city and then feed that food to the people within that part of the city. So the first part consisted in we produced this sort of map of this part of the city and we asked people first for um, indicating on the map places that they knew where you could get food and describe these places which taken together produced a sort of food guide to that part of the city which contains a lot of hidden places because as I showed you um, most of them are sort of invisible from the streets so we have a sort of a qualitative food guide where many people describe different places where you can get food and how to eat. That's kind of the more conventional part of the project. Then we interviewed these people and asked them to do a drawing um, of the part of the, the relationship of that part of the city to themselves. So that's one example. Um, where you can see somebody who is actually working there in an advertising agency um, drawing that um, part of the city as a very sort of grayish, concrete, um, fast-changing um, uh, landscape. And we then, in the next step, ask them to name the protagonist of the drawing and we told them that the protagonist of the drawing doesn't need to be a person but it can be anything it can be a feeling it can be a some abstract entity it can be an object it can be themselves whatever so this person named um, work work and money is the protagonist of of his drawing and then we asked them to give qualities of that protagonist, to name qualities of the protagonist, i.e. color, in that case anthracite, form, right angle, consistency, solid, um, smell, concrete, taste, um, nothing here, sound, uh, traffic noise, um, type of movement, uh, speed, age, again, so age of the protagonist, 15, um, price or value, um, going up, geographical origin from Zurich, and political position, uh, it's unpolitical. I'll show you a second example. So this is from a woman who also works um, there. Uh, she told us a story about the square. Actually, it was the square where we did the interview, which is next to her office. She's a young young woman, early 20s, um, working sort of in a, as an admin. So she got a phone call from her boyfriend, who told her that he needs to meet her soon. Um, so they met in front of her office on the square. and. 
he would tell her that he would leave um, in a couple of weeks to work in Singapore and he would leave her. So for her, the portrait of that part of the city and of that particular square is sort of this experience of being left by her boyfriend who without sort of any kind of announcement tells her that he would, he would be gone. So her pr protagonist is um, um, being abandoned. Color black, uh, form square or yeah, square. Consistency hard. Smell, I can't smell it. Taste bitter. Um, sound loud. Movement. Slow, very slow, like a snail. Age, since I exist, and since she exists. Price value, there is no value. Um, geographical origin, um, the mountain village where she's from. Political position, conservative. Now, the next step consisted in trying to bring back these protagonists that are the experience of the part of the city back to our interviewees as in cooked format. That is, we took, um, we took these descriptions of the protagonists so that's it. You see an anthracite, right angle, uh, um, square, um, taste, um, concrete, and so on, and turned them into a meal. So this is a, a, it's a kind of an aubergine cake. You see it's anthracite colored, it's, it's square, and so on and so forth. So we try to run all these attributes as attributes of the food and then we so we went back to the interviewees we asked them and we we they gave us um, a portrait of the quarter so we asked them to eat that in within that quarter but in a place that sort of reflects um, their their characterization of the of the part of the city and we produced a counter program which is sort of reversing their description of the city, sort of that would, and then we interviewed them kind of about how that reversal of their counter program would relate um, to the city. So that's um, from the first <coughs> one, and that's the second one. Um, you can see here on top, uh, actually, this is really just a heart, a heart caramel. So that's that is, and you know, square and so on and so forth, picture. And, and the count program is a kind of tortilla thing with uh, peppers. So again, it's first about producing, um, first producing a very particular setup in which it is possible to do this kind of research, then putting pressure on the participants to produce some kind of very particular data that relate to that place, 
And again, it's important that these are not just sort of text format. Work with this material and turn it into something and produce a consumption situation for our sort of outcome of our research that is particular to that place. And I end here. Thank you very much.